All right, Ephesians chapter 2, let's get there. Uh, I want to spend a few minutes talking with you about why I think that your church and my church, all of our churches, should be radically diverse churches. Now, for me, this goes all the way back to high school in Abilene, Texas, sitting around my lunch table with Buddy the Irish Luchador. Seriously, Scott's Irish dude with a collection of Mexican wrestling masks. All right, so then you got Buddy, and then you have Brian the Hobbit, and dude's five foot seven, which doesn't sound very hobbitish, except for the next three dudes around the table were 6'11", 6'8", and 6'2". So the 6'11 guy, Chris, student body president, this is 92, 93, looks just like Christian Leitner. Then you got Andre, 6'8", played two years in the NBA before he spent 15 years playing over in Europe. And then you had Jamie, who's a professional R&B singer, splitting time between Texas and Vegas. So it's in that context that I had an experience with them of growing and learning so much about diverse cultures musically. So here's Buddy, who's turning me on to Primus and Faith No More, the Red Hot Chili Peppers. And then Dre and Jamie and Andre's brother and another cat, they're singing Boys to Men. So they're giving me this whole new edition musical family tree, which gets me into listening to Prince which gets me listening to Miles Davis, which gets me listening to Ella Fitzgerald, which somehow gets me listening to hip-hop, which I still can't make the connection between Ella Fitzgerald and hip-hop, except that what happens when I begin listening to Public Enemy is that I began to, that's the first time I'm ever ever introduced to Dr. King. And so I can remember my sophomore year, my big English project in my sophomore English class was to take a current song and to talk about the lyrics of that song and what they mean. So I pick up a song by the jazz funk metal band Living Color. And it's a song from their first record called Open Letter to a Landlord. And so I'm sitting there in front of a bunch of my friends, mostly Anglo, suburban, middle class, talking about systemic poverty. So here I am swimming around in this sea of cultural diversity. And then I moved to Birmingham. And I've become a student at Sanford University, where diversity for us in 93, 94 was the fact that Darius Rucker was the lead singer of Hootie and the Blowfish. (laughs) And then, because of biblical theological convictions, I become ordained in the Presbyterian Church in America. Both Sanford University and the PCA are places that I love dearly. However, the legacy of Presbyterianism in America leaves and casts a long shadow as it relates particularly to racial diversity. So what happened to me for about 15 years from 1993 to 2008 is I became very comfortable with my own people. People who had the same color of skin, the same culture, the same class. Now, from my perspective, looking out over North American churches, I'm wondering maybe if we have become comfortable with our own people. That our churches are the same color, largely the same culture, and largely the same class. Now, we could play statistics, so we could throw out the statistic that 3% of North American evangelical churches are multi-ethnic, meaning that in that particular church... There is no ethnicity that is greater than 80% in the room. 
Now, if you plug it into this room and this event where we have 450 churches, that means that if you do the math, and I'm not very good at math, I went to public school in Alabama, I think that means that there's maybe 14 churches in this room that might be considered multi-ethnic. And that's just talking about one aspect of diversity. That's not talking about class or culture. Now, the reason I bring that up is because Acts 29 is a diverse global network of churches that plant churches. By God's grace, we have more than 100 churches outside of North America that are part of this network. By God's grace, there are more and more churches who are not exclusively or almost exclusively Anglo, suburban, and middle class. But I want you to imagine a room like this, where you don't just have a collection of diverse and global churches, but what you actually have is a collection of churches, each and every single one of them, that are both globally ambitious and radically diverse in their makeup. So that in every local church, there are different colors and different cultures and different classes. See, it's my conviction that if we are listening to God in the power of the Holy Spirit through the scriptures, that the pressing for diversity in our churches is a non-negotiable implication of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay? So here we have Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. Theological jumper cables for the gospel of the kingdom of God. And here you have in this city, Paul writing to a group of people, Paul pressing in together in a context where millennia of hostility has sophisticated itself into a respectable segregation. So that what you have is Jews over here, Gentiles over there, until it comes It becomes so unfamiliar to Paul that this looks nothing like the body of Christ so that under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he is led to write this letter. And he's led to write these words that I want to read with you, beginning in verse 11 through verse 22 of Paul's letter to the Ephesians. He says this, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. The two words that I want to pull out for you are the words therefore and remember. 
at the beginning of verse 11. The reason that I believe that your church and my church, every single one of our churches should be a radically diverse group of people is because of the content that's embedded in those two words. So it goes something like this. Therefore, because of the change that God has effected in your life. So this is chapter two, verses one to 10. Because our God has transformed you from the walking dead into trophies of his grace, handcrafted, custom designed, because our God is rich in mercy and lavish in love, stacking kindness upon kindness so that you might know that he has paved the way for you to follow him and to make him impossible to ignore in our world. Because of that change that God has effected in you through the blessings of God in chapter one, verses three to 14, our God has chosen you for holiness and freedom. He has predestined you with furious longing because he intends for you and me and us to stun the world with our worship so that every single one of us might say, red and yellow, black and white, we are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children in the world. That we might be able to stand and say, yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. And in loving us, he has redeemed us. He has redeemed us to declare and display and demonstrate that he is God's plan. That all roads on heaven and on earth lead to him. That everything tractor beams back into Jesus. That every aspect and particle of the universe exists as a diorama, a display, a tapestry, a cosmic Voltron that reminds us of the greatness and the glory of our God. You see, because in God's kingdom, what has happened is that we are his inheritance. Not just one color, not just one culture, not just one class. We are the inheritance of God. That what we have now is that our our Jewish family who had the first crack at Jesus, they're part of the inheritance of God. And now those of us as Gentiles, as non-Jewish men and women who have heard and believed and have been sealed by the Holy Spirit, who is the down payment on our eternal layaway plan where someday there will be no more winter and every day will be Christmas. Therefore, because of the change that God has effected in you through his blessings on you, your church should be radically diverse. Because, remember, verse 11, remember where you came from. You, you, have, you once were expelled, separated, alienated, hostile to God. Where are you now? Verse 13. Once you were far off, now you are near because of the victorious sacrifice of a bloody king who is our peace, which means now that both Jew and Gentile in every class, every culture, every color, now has access to our Father. Because our big brother Jesus ripped down the barbed wire that separated us and kept us from playing together. And in doing that, what he is doing is he is creating, inventing a brand new humanity that is completely unimaginable in this world that finds every single way to divide us. Which means... 
There are no illegal aliens in the kingdom of heaven. There are no homeless people in heaven. What we have is a family. Citizens of the heavenly city who share an identity, who share a purpose, which means that every single member of God's family is safe and protected which means that we are now living stones hewn by apostles and prophets who have declared and displayed the gospel of Jesus Christ that Jesus is what we are built on, that we are supported by Christ, we are shaped by Christ. And so now he is the cornerstone of this new temple that exists presently in heaven and is holy because that's where our God is. See, here's my conviction. If there is this kind of God who does that kind of work, then is it not our deep joy together to build these little model replicas of the world in which you and I will share together as we enjoy our God forever? So here's my question. What are you willing to do in order to obey the Bible? Would you consider, humbly, I would ask you to consider whether or not your indifference or resistance to the idea of diversity in your church might be a scandal upon the bride of Christ, which, which makes her easy to ignore in a world that is super saturated by controversy and scandal. No, look, I know the objections. I know the objections that I have in my own heart. So my, my church, 25 years old, the, the place where a lot of us live is a community that is 95% Anglo. So I know the objections. I know the objections. Pastor, this will wreck our church. History will tell you that's absolutely the case. How many Pastors have lost their jobs. How many churches have been split in the gospel cause of desegregation? That's right. How many movements have been derailed because of our desire to keep separated what God intends to come together? So I understand that objection. I understand the objection that says, hey, you know what? My community just simply isn't that diverse. Okay, so here's my question to you, the one that I'm presently wrestling with. So is, are my efforts at making disciples as diverse as the community around me? See, when we talk about radical diversity, that's the radicality of the diversity. Are you more diverse than the surrounding community? So I just told you, in, in my community, in Oconee County, Georgia, over 95% Anglo, but do you know what's on my cul-de-sac? Two houses down, is a Moroccan Muslim woman who's a professor at the University of Georgia. Across the street and one house over is an Indian couple. Next door to them is a biracial couple. He's Hispanic. Across the street is a redneck. I have at least five different cultures, ethnicities, colors on my street. So again, I understand that there's a long list of yeah buts, but I'm wondering if you might consider whether or not that long list of yeah buts, the objections, has been crafted and compiled and codified by a majority culture that is so infatuated with the ease of church planting and pastoring that we have sold our souls to the homogeneous principle that looks nothing like the Bible. Ah! <laughs> you better preach, Doc. 
What are you going to do with the Bible? You see, because the opportunity in front of us is not to be strategic. It's not to be creative. It's, it's to remind ourselves and recover a simplicity that says, with an open Bible and a posture of repentance and faith, what might God do? See, I, I understand the objections, and I'm just saying that what are we going to do with the Bible that God's put in our hands? So where do we start? First off, there are churches in this room that are living out this transcultural reality, and I, I, I want to say thank you. And I want to say, please continue to lead the way. And please be patient with us as the rest of us wrestle with the Holy Spirit may be doing with us. Others of us are beginning to get it. We, have, we see it biblically. We, have, we get it convictionally. And now we're starting to live this out. And some of us are making some pretty catalytic moves in terms of what it looks like. We're, so our staffing is beginning to look different. Our sound on Sundays is beginning to look different. But what I'm talking about is where my church is. My church is not leading the way in this. My church has not made significant steps here yet. But where we are is that we have a biblical theological conviction that this is the way forward in a 25-year-old church that wisdom would compel us to move forward, but in the power of the Holy Spirit, in his timing, which sometimes is far slower than I might like it to be. So if you find yourselves in that context and you're like, okay, so biblically, I see it. Theologically, convictionally, I'm there. What do I do next? So here we are at an event that for the next few days we're going to be talking about building healthy churches. And we're going to be talking about what that looks like as it relates to making disciples and growing elders and handling your business financially and planting churches. So I thought what I'd do is I'd give you four next steps that relate to those things. These are actually the four steps that we're taking in our church. Now, maybe they're helpful, maybe they're not, but they're ours and and we'll see. So here's what I would say. As it relates to what you do with your elders... We have made it non-negotiable for an elder in our church to not have a biblical theological conviction that the pressing in for diversity as it relates to color, class, and culture is a a biblical non-negotiable. This is an implication of the gospel that we simply can't ignore. So there will not be an elder at Christ Community Church in Athens, Georgia, who does not buy into that and is not able to articulate that. That's one. As it relates to our finances, we are attempting to use both our budgets and our special offerings to both inspire, innovate, and move people towards this picture of diversity. So we want people to see different things. So we have a Christmas offering that's coming up December 14th, and every single dollar that comes in that day is going to go to Downtown Academy, an inner city school in Athens, Georgia, that is explicitly Christian, both in its message and in the outworkings of its message, which goes after academic excellence. That's one thing that we can do. We can't do everything, but let's do that. As it relates to what you do in planting churches, instead of simply replicating yourself and making little models of you all over the world, what we've said is, why don't we plant different churches? Why don't we plant churches in different parts of the world and different parts of our country? Instead of taking our strengths, let's open our hands in weakness and go, we think more churches should be started and we don't have much, but we want to help, but we want to see churches that look different than ours. And here's what I think is going to be the game changer for us as it relates to making disciples. We think discipleship comes back to kind of basic stuff like love God and love neighbor. 
And so as we're trying to help people learn what it means to love their neighbor, we're trying to help them in such a way that what we see and where diversity is going to show up will be in the living rooms of our members, probably far before it'll ever show up in our chairs on Sundays. As it relates to Acts 29 in North America, what does this mean for us, this pressing for diversity in our churches? What it means is this. We will not be content with being a diverse global network of churches that plant churches. There's more for us. I'm convinced, and we will make decisions and spend money and develop resources and platform speakers who will press us in the power and timing of the Holy Spirit and the providence of God to be globally ambitious and radically diverse in each of our churches. Now, the big question is, how do we do that? I would say that my fear would be that we would walk out of here following a path of pride that would lead us to either arrogance because we're so smart and we're so good at strategy and we're infatuated with whiteboards or would lead us to despair because we're so small. My church is one one thousandth of the city of Athens. What difference can we make? In decade after decade and century after century of history, we're not very influential. We're not that big. We don't have a lot of money. We could easily end up in a self-absorbed posture of despair, revealing a heart of pride. Or I think we might be able to take the path that Paul takes towards prayer. Because what happens is that Paul looks and says, when you look and see who our God is and what our God has done, when you see the change that he's affected in your life through the blessings that he has lavished on you, and you begin to believe that God is therefore calling you to press into a new reality that only he can create, then what Paul does when he gets to the end of chapter two and starts in chapter three is he's about to start praying. So he gets to chapter three, verse one of Ephesians. He says, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. And then he sidetracks himself before he prays because what he sees through this pathway of prayer is both a humility because of the mystery of God's plan and hope because it is in fact the plan of God himself. So I would say that whatever it is that God might have for us, not just as a network or a network of networks, but pressing down into your church and my church. I believe the way forward is with an open Bible and a posture of repentance and faith that leads us to pray. So that's what I want to do. And I want to pray what Paul prays for me, for you, and for us. So I want to pray Ephesians 3, verses 14 to 21, which I believe that whatever you reason you think that exists in your world, I believe it most emphatically exists here in the letter to the Ephesian church to encourage them to press forward in Jew and Gentile becoming one. So I'd love for you to join me as we pray. For this reason, Father, that for the uniting all things in Jesus. 
I bow my knees before you, my Father, from whom every family, every color, every culture, every class in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of your glory, Father, that you might grant us to be strengthened with power through the Spirit in our inner being, so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith, that we, being rooted and grounded in love, and is there anything, well, Father, help us to not get beyond the basics that we are loved by you, and therefore we are free to love. That we, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that we may be filled with all the fullness of God. And so, Father, here's where we press. Now to you who are able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to, to him, to, to you, Father, be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. And God's people said, Amen. Amen.